Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. want to take a minute to let you know that things are beginning to open up here at Ebenezer, particularly ways for you to gather in smaller groups. So please take a look at our website and browse through the various ministry tabs to find opportunities for you to connect with others in prayer and in study together. In Pastor Layton's weekly update this week, he introduced a Hearing God seminar, a survey that's going to be coming out to our church family, a work day in which we need some individuals to come and just help out around the building to get some things uh, finished up from our new edition. And he also referred to a concert coming up by Tim and the Glory Boys. We're happy to say that we have had to add a second uh, concert uh, to the, uh, the night because of the great response. So if you haven't already purchased that ticket, you'll want to check out our website uh, for how to do that. So all of these things are coming up in the month of October. So just please, uh, you know, open up your emails or website to get more information on all of those things and ways for you to register for them. Well, before we um, listen to our sermon this morning, I'd like to just lead you in a word of prayer. Let's bow. Father, uh, we thank you for calling us and inviting us to be your children. Uh, we don't take that for granted. And we know too that as you call us to be your people, there is also uh, a responsibility that comes with that uh, in our relationship with you and also with each other. Father, we ask that you would make us a people who um, want to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind, that you would create in us deeply the DNA of what your church is to be, your, your gathering of Jesus followers. And so we want to pursue you. We also know that being part of following you is also uh, being connected to each other. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us willing hearts to open our hearts to other people in our community, that we would learn to love each other deeply so that we can in turn love our world around us and that our world will be changed because they can see how much we love each other and you. Father, we pray too for those that are uh, hurting or struggling or sick in our midst this morning. Father, we know that uh, 
that you are the great comforter. You want to be our rock, our tower. And so I pray for those who are just struggling this morning, whether it is with health or uh, loss of some kind or, um, yeah, just confusion. Father, I pray that you would come near to them as they draw near to you. We thank you for our, uh, our family of believers, and we thank you that we can uh, uphold each other in prayer. And so I pray that you would help us not to forget to, to just reach out to each other in these times uh, and that we can be the support and care and uh, comfort that others need from us at this time. So Father, as we continue this morning and we discover more about um, what it means to be the church, I pray, Father, that you would give us open ears to hear and then uh, willing uh, spirits to obey what you are calling us to be and do. So thank you for um, your, our time with you this morning. And we just, uh, we just invite your spirit to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Ebenezer. If you don't know me, my name is Cal and I have the privilege of serving on the staff team here. It's also my delight to share with you from God's Word this morning. Now this morning we conclude our relatively short but extremely important four-part series on what makes a church a church. As we have begun to regather after six months apart for our in-person Sunday services and as many of our other weekly ministry programs have restarted, it's vital that we understand from Scripture what makes a church a church. Jim Henderson and Matt Casper penned a book titled, Jim and Casper Go to Church. Henderson, a pastor of 25 years, had found himself in a place where he felt, in his own words, like a failure. He had been, like so many other pastors, using conventional standards of measurement to measure his success in ministry. The three Bs, buildings, budget, butts or, or bums in the seats. And based on those standards, he would have been considered a failure. Now he tried various forms of uh, ministry and various approaches to ministry, everything from seeker sensitive to cell ministry and found that none of them worked. And one of the key questions he asked himself was, what do non-Christian guests hear and see when they attend a church service and what might inspire them to come back? I convinced that the only way to answer these questions was to talk to non-Christians he enlisted the help of Matt Casper, an atheist, an open-minded atheist, to attend church services together and see what they might discover. They attended large churches and small churches. They attended churches with different, of different denominations and with different traditions. Henderson fielded many questions from Casper, but he said that this was by far the most difficult one. Is this what Jesus told you guys to do? Is this what Jesus told you guys to do? According to Henderson, Casper simply could not imagine Jesus telling his followers that the most important thing they should be doing is holding church services. And yet, this was the only logical conclusion he was able to come to based upon what he had observed. In Casper's own words, if that's where they, non-Christians or non-believers started, they would have to conclude that Jesus' number one priority was that Christians invest the very best of their energy and their money into putting on huge church services, a killer show, as it were. Now, we, Ebenezer, 
until just a few weeks ago, had been unable to gather on a Sunday morning for worship services, and during that time apart, many questions were asked. Are we a church if we can't or if we don't gather together? Doesn't Scripture actually command us to gather? So, are we even truly the church if we're not meeting together? Well, these and other questions asked by us and by you cause us to pray and consider deeply what it actually means to be the church. And that has led us to this series of messages examining what we're calling the DNA of the church. What is truly the church? Our anchor passage for this series has been Acts 2, 42 to 47. And from this description of the early church, we determined three key DNA characteristics of the church. Three DNA characteristics that must all be present for a church to truly be a church. So let's begin by simply reading this passage. Now, if you're watching at home as a family, why don't you designate someone in your group or maybe a parent uh, to read this passage aloud. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42 to verse 47. <clears throat> they, devo they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now from this passage, Pastor Layton shared with us the first DNA characteristic of the church, and that is a church is a church when it is centered on the Word of God, the works of God, and the worship of God. Last week, Pastor Kelly shared with us the second DNA characteristic of the church, and that is a church is a church when it loves and cares for those in the family of faith. Now this morning, I want to share with you the third DNA characteristic that makes a church a church. A church is a church when it naturally proclaims and demonstrates the power of God to its surrounding community. Now, from this account of the practices of the early church here in Acts 2, this would be a good way to describe this DNA trait. However, I'd like to propose a different way of expressing this that's a little bit more action-oriented and work through that this morning. So let me express it this way. A church is a church when it centers on and engages in the mission of God. Now, and let me remind us that all three DNA traits need to be present if a church is going to be the church. One certainly is not enough. Two out of three ain't bad, but all three DNA traits must be present if a church is going to be a church. The church is a church when it centers and engages in the mission of God. Now, to explore and to go deeper into this point, I think we need to ask ourselves and explore three-ish three questions. First, what is the mission of God? Second, why must the church center on it and engage with it? And third, and we'll try to spend most of our time on this question, how do we do so? And as an offshoot of question three, we kind of need to ask ourselves, are we doing it or are we not doing it? And if we're not, how can we? So with that, let's begin with the first question. What is the mission of God? What is the mission of God, and how does what is described of the early church in Acts 2 relate to this mission? 
Now, the term which has become more common in describing the mission of God is the Latin phrase missio dei, which simply means the mission of God, but perhaps more accurately, it should be translated the sending of God. To express it simply, the mission of God is God's great mission to restore and to bring healing to all humanity and all creation, setting things right in a broken and sinful world, and to redeem and restore it and us to what God had always intended. I can't remember which of our summer speakers uh, said this, but he said that before there was original sin, there was original good. And it is God's great mission to restore all things back to that original good. The work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Son, are key to God's mission, as it is through Christ that all things are made whole and right. But the bottom line is this. It is God's mission. Now, there's another point that needs to be made, uh, need to be said, and needs to be clear. Not only is Missio Dei God's mission and God's mission alone, Missio Dei is not an activity of God. Rather, it is a fundamental characteristic or attribute of God. That is to say, the mission or sending of God is not primarily something God does. It's something God is. For example, we might say God loves. But the better way to express that truth is actually God is love. We might say God speaks the truth. But more accurately, God is truth. God, by nature, is a missionary God. So that is God's mission, to bring healing and restoration to all creation, restoring, them th restoring that all back to the original good. Well, that brings us to our second question. Why must the church engage in Mitzio Dei? Well, let me start with a simple answer, and then, and then we'll develop it just a little bit. The church must engage with the mission of God because the church is God's instrument sent into the world to join in and to participate in God's redemptive mission. A theologian, Carl Hartenstein, said regarding the mission of the church and the mission of God, that the mission of God is a biblical mandate. It is not optional, but an imperative. You see, too often we think and believe that the primary activity of God is in the church. However, God's primary activity is in the world. The church is not an entity that sends missionaries. The church is the missionary. David Bosch said it this way. He said, it is not the church which undertakes mission. It is the missio dei which constitutes the church. Or stated in a slightly different way, you may have seen in our foyer before our expansion project uh, began a banner which said, it's not that the church has a mission. It's that the mission of God has a church. Now, typically, most churches view missions as a, a program, an activity, or a department of ministry, similar to youth ministry or children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, and so on. Now, when we see missions in this way, the main responsibility of the missions pastor or a missions committee is to determine uh, how much to allocate the missions budget to and, and who to support. And our main responsibility is to give financially to the missions budget, and, and maybe some of us would serve on a missions committee. However, if we take this renewed view of missions, that the fundamental purpose of the church is to engage in the mission of God, and that we, the church, are an agent of God's mission, then we will organize every ministry around the mission of God. 
Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford wrote in their book right here, right now. Mission as the organizing principle means that mission goes way beyond being some sort of optional activity or program for our churches. It actually is the organizing axis of the church. The life of the church revolves around it. Now that is not to say that we don't do corporate worship, develop community, or make disciples, but that these are catalyzed by and organized around the mission function. Only in this way can we be truly missional. Merely adding serving events or a special outreach event or special outreach days to our church schedules will not develop missional people nor make a missional church. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 reminds us regarding the church, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Mission must be at the center and at the very core of who we are. William Temple said, The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. But yet, how often do we, you and myself, how often do we evaluate our church experiences based on what we feel we got out of it? The sermon, the worship singing, the various ministry programs. Call it individualism or consumerism. We rarely assess church based on how effective we've been at engaging the mission of God, building relationships with those who have yet to come to faith, and ministering those who are not yet believers. Now, there's so much more I'd like to explore on this point, but let me close it with, simple, with the example of Jesus. Jesus recognized that even he didn't have his own mission. He submitted himself to the mission and the purposes of God. Jesus said of himself in John 5 uh, verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Finally, the third question we need to examine are the kind of the dual questions of then, uh, how then do we center and engage in God's mission and, and, and are we doing it? Well, to look at the second question first, I would say maybe. As I said when I quoted Hirsch and Ford, merely having special outreach events or activities or a gospel presentation doesn't make us missional, nor does it truly engage us in God's mission. Now, those are not bad things, but they don't ingrain the DNA of mission into our church culture, our church life, or our church practices. So, how do we begin to develop this necessary and all-important DNA trait? Well, if we recognize that it is God's mission and not our mission, we begin by prayerfully seeking what God is already doing all around us. One author put it this way. He said, we must look for God's activity in a local setting as a place to begin our missional engagement. Mission, therefore, cannot be decided beforehand, but it must be discerned in relationship to God's activity in a local context. Instead of front-loading mission strategies with what we think a community needs, we begin by listening and learning what God is already doing. Listen individually and collectively with others, whether that be in your immediate family, in your home hub or smaller group, or, or whatever smaller context you are a part of. Listen to the Holy Spirit, 
Listen to the community around you. Listen to one another. This year, we're actually going to be offering a seminar on how to listen for, listen to, and to hear God's voice. And that's something we all need to learn to do. In Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, the very first premise he shares with us is that God is at work all around us. He's never stopped. He's always been at work. He's not waiting for us to agree to do something. He's not passive. He is already at work, and he invites us to join him in what he is already doing. So how can we begin this process even in the midst of these COVID times? Well, start with whatever community setting you're already in, whichever community setting you're comfortable with. That could be your family, those few other friends who are also a part of God's family. Maybe it's in your home hub or with your Christian teammates on your sports team or your co-workers in your workplace or your school friends in your high schools or elementary schools. Let, let me give you a suggestion. Gather for, say, let's say two weeks and every day simply take five minutes to pray together that God would reveal to you individually and collectively where he is already at work in your context around you. And then begin to share what you're seeing, what you're hearing and what you're sensing from God. And as a group, learn to discern. Next, we need to recognize that God's call to us, His church, is to go. It is to go. We are not to stay and wait passively. We are to go. You see, too often what we call missions or missional work today consists primarily of evangelistic programs or events or even service projects. Now again, those aren't necessarily bad things. But if we think that because those events are on our church calendars, we are truly engaging in the mission of God the way God calls us, then I think we're actually deceiving ourselves. You see, we've made mission and our approach to mission a come and see perspective when God calls us to go and be. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, the Great Commission, many of you are familiar with this passage, begins with these words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, it's true the command in this passage is not the to go, but it's actually to make disciples. In the Greek, the phrase to go is assumed. So some translations or some ways to translate it could be as you go, make disciples of all nations, or wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. But to the early disciples of Jesus, going into the world was never in question. It was only a question of where God would call them and when God would call them there. Look at the example of the early church in Acts chapter 2. What does it say in verse 46? It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They met in community together and lived their lives as this new gathering of Christ followers in the temple courts. They went to where the people were. And because they went, God brought opportunity. And we read the results. The Lord added daily to those who were being saved. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter was given a vision of a blanket coming down with animals on it that he, he thought were unclean. And, and God says, don't call what I have made clean, clean. And it was a call for Peter to move the message of the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles. And specifically, Peter was called to speak to the centurion Cornelius. So what did, what did Peter do? Well, he set up a building that would uh, attract the Gentile, uh, you know, those who were curious about, about the Jewish faith. 
And he created all kinds of programs and served all kinds of food that would attract Gentiles and, and waited for them to come in, into his doors. No, 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 of course he did not. What did, what did Peter do? He went to the home of Cornelius. And Cornelius and his entire household came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't we love to see God use the Ebenezer family in a similar way? Pray and discern, and then go. So, once again, how do we do that today? Well, I would, again, go back to say, consider the context in which God has already sent you, already placed you. Your physical neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your mom's group, those that you see in the grocery store every week. These are all places that need the healing and transformation of the gospel and recognize that you have been sent into those mission fields. Jesus said to his followers in John 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. So how did God send Jesus? And how does Jesus then send us? Well, let me make some key points and some observations. First, we need to learn and understand the culture in which you are being sent. Understand what is valued and what is not. How do others in your context see the world, see faith, see life? Second, not only do we need to understand the culture, but we need to learn to speak their language. And of course, I don't mean anything that's inappropriate or, or vulgar, but learn to speak how they speak. And this is the, where the whole idea of getting rid of our, our Christianese comes in. Others can't understand us if we talk in our own church-familiar Christian language. We need to learn to speak their language. Third, pray for and seek opportunities to connect the stories of those in, in your mission field with the story of God. More simply put, pray and seek opportunities to share the gospel in their context. And one of the ways to do that is to have your own personal testimony or experience with God ready to share. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 exhorts us, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What's going on in the lives of those God has sent you to that the good news of Jesus Christ will speak to? When and how might your testimony be of challenge and of encouragement and of hope to others? Connect the story of God to their story. Connect, the story of, connect their story to the story of God. A fourth, go as a community of faith, demonstrating your love for each other and invite them into community as well. It used to be that Smaller faith groups were formed by those who are already members of, of a church family or a faith family. See, this is typically how it worked. You, you come to a church service, and initially because you don't believe, you might be just comfortable coming to a service. And then maybe eventually God speaks to you and you decide to follow Jesus, you become a believer. You become a believer and then you're encouraged to join a small group. See, the pattern was you had to believe before you belonged. But to truly be a missionary to those who are not yet believers, they need to belong before they believe. And that, that best happens in places like your home, around your kitchen table, over coffee, perhaps at a backyard barbecue, or as you're mowing the lawn uh, together with your neighbors. It doesn't necessarily happen in the seats of a worship center or at a weekly program. Fifth, fifth be prepared to sacrifice 
and to serve. Jesus gave up his glory in heaven and sacrificed his physical life on earth. In fact, he said himself that he did not come to be served, but to serve. So let me ask you, where are you, where are we, where am I prepared to sacrifice? Are we prepared to sacrifice our comfort, our convenience, our schedules, our time, our finances? Where are we prepared to serve? and particularly serve those who are are less well-to-do or marginalized by others. Now, all of these principles that I just mentioned need to be founded on being intentional about building truly loving relationships with those who have yet to know God through Jesus Christ. Loving relationships with others are the foundation and are the key to being missional. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll know that the principles that I've just shared with you are most often used to describe the strategies used by missionaries that we send overseas into literally different cultures. But that's really my point. We are all missionaries sent into the world. So we are to prayerfully seek and discern what God is already doing all around us. We are to go and we need to recognize our sentness. And third, and this is something that we can all do, it's just a very small thing we can do beginning today if we're going to change our culture and ingrain this missional DNA into us as a church, we need to change our language. We need to change our language because language reveals what we believe about something and what we value about something. So start with these two simple words, church and missionary. You see, the church is not the building. It's not a place, and it's not our Sunday worship service. The church, it's each and every one of you who have made the decision to receive God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and have chosen to follow him. See, these are things that we've heard all the time, but how often do you catch yourself saying, I'm going to church on Sunday? Or where is that meeting? It's at the church. Those are all improper, I would suggest, uses of the word. Here's a little tip that helped me out to understand how I can use the word church properly. When you use the word church, ask yourself, are you talking about a place where? Or are you talking about a people who? So if you're talking about a place where, then you're not using the word the the way I believe the Bible wants us to use it. But if you're talking about a people who, then we're beginning to, to hone in on what it means to be the church. The second word is missionaries. Recognize that missionaries are not those, or not only those, we support financially and pray for, those that go overseas or perhaps in other places that we don't think God has necessarily called us to. See, we just live normal, regular lives, and so we're not missionaries, but but that's not true. Missionaries are each and every one of us as we are all called by God to take the message of the, and the good news of Jesus Christ into each and every context he has placed us. No matter where you go, remind, remind yourself that you have been sent there and you are a missionary to that place. So our third DNA characteristic this morning is that a church is a church when it centers on and engages with the mission of God. Now, to conclude, let me just show you this short video that illustrates what I've been sharing. And then we'll have a time of communion together as a response to what God has been teaching us and showing us today. This is the missional church. Simple. 
In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, What about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh web page, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. This morning we also have the privilege of coming together, uniting together around the communion table of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus instituted communion with his uh, disciples just before he was crucified by taking something common, a meal, and using it to remind them and to remind us of his death, his resurrection, and his eventual return. And this morning, as we take communion together, I just want to remind us of the words of Jesus when he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, or I send you. The cross where Jesus suffered and died was a culmination of co the completion of his mission given by God to him. And as God has sent Christ, Christ now sends us into the world to be his missionaries and to share the good news, the good news of the cross with those that he has placed all around us. Scripture says that Jesus took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Scripture continues to say that in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and he says, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. And join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your love for us. And it is because of that love you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth on mission 
to live a life as a human being, and then to die on the cross in behalf of our sin. But Father, we thank you that he, you rose him from the, he rose from the dead and is seated with you in heaven right now at your right hand. Father, as we've taken the bread and the cup, let us remind ourselves of that deep sacrifice and that deep love that you have for us, demonstrated in what you did. But let us also remind ourselves that while we wait for your return, your call to us, your people, your church, is to bring the good news, to be witnesses of what we know and what we've experienced into a world that so desperately needs to know. Father, use us for your glory and for your purposes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, edit that out. <laughs> so hard to do. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.